This week's episode of This Is Only a Test is made possible with support from Afternoon Cyber Tea. Staying ahead of cyber threats can be the difference between thriving and being thwarted. Afternoon Cyber Tea with Ann Johnson has insights for cybersecurity decision makers striving to succeed amid rapid change. Each week, Ann Johnson, Corporate Vice President for Cybersecurity Solutions at Microsoft, talks with key security experts to explore perspectives on implementing new tech, next generation security risks, and the current and future state of the cybersecurity security industry. Check it out and subscribe to them. That's Afternoon Cyber Tea. It's available now on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, let's start the show. For Thursday, November 7th, 2019, welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. momentous occasion it is this week for if you're watching the video you will realize that this episode has all three hosts we are all here no special guests this week norm i'm here i'm norm jeremy hi norman hi jeremy jeremy's here and oh, it feels like it's been so long we was, have the salt of science i was here last week <laughs> That's right. It's when Jerry, Jeremy was at. I don't know idea what day it is. I will tell you, though, it is a momentous day, especially if you're listening to this on Thursday, November 7th, which happens to be my birthday. Happy is birthday. that true? Happy birthday, Kishore. Really? It's also friend of tested Bobak Ferdowsi's birthday. Wow. Oh, my goodness. We're birthday buddies. I really should have told the baby to stay in. Oh, to steal my birthday? To share a birthday. Oh, steal. Because that would have been a steal. My baby's birthday is November sixth. We're actually recording this the day before, November fifth, because of scheduling. So mm -hmm. news, nothing break, please. Nothing happen mm. on November sixth. That's going to be important, or we'll have to talk about it next week. So as of the re recording, your baby is still zero. That's right. But by the release of this podcast, your baby will be one. Yes, that's the difference between infant and toddler. Yes. Yeah. Is it? I think that is. I thought a toddler was more of like a able to self-motivate or uh, locomote. Yeah, it's just like a video game. Like, abilities unlock immediately upon the birthday. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and, and yeah. no, I think in terms of the, uh, the baby industry, uh, when they sell products to parents, infant is zero to 12 months. Hmm. Toddler is like 12 months plus. Oh, you're so. talking about the industry definition. Yes, the industry, which is important. Yes. Because if you're buying, for example formula that's gonna be super interesting for people out there who don't have babies they will sell you infant formula and toddler formula and they are very different toddler formula has sugar that's bad for your baby oh don't feed your yeah. infants toddler formula not until after at least like wednesday of this week that's right that's right advice. two and days then I open those bins the enzyme just bought. starts getting secreted by your liver <laughs> instantaneously to take care of it yeah well happy early birthday kishore or Thank happy you. birthday and happy birthday bobak yeah. I can't you know you guys shared a birthday. Mm -hmm. Uh this is one week after our Halloween spectacular episode. I'm sorry you missed it, Jeremy. We're all in costume. No, we weren't. But how did you celebrate your Halloweens? 
Well, I'll go first because it wasn't anything special. Uh, it was me sitting at home handing out candy. Because oh. unlike you fellas, my kids are old enough to go with their friends now. That's and is this? Were you wistful? Or are you, I am wistful. This was very melancholy. I'm not melancholy. It was bittersweet. You know, because I'm I got to pick out the candy and see all the costumes and. Uh, so, but I stayed home and handed out candy. The nest was empty. I wore my, my Sid shirt from Toy Story, put on some jeans. Anyone recognize you? One, one girl, probably, you know, 10 years old said, I like your shirt. I don't know if she knew what. No, she just wanted the candy. Maybe so. (laughs) So no staff. That's your thing. Having a staff. What are you talking about? Usually have like a... Oh, I thought you meant people working no. for me. Yes. <laughs> no, uh, physical Gandalf staff kind uh, of thing. I actually, I don't know what happened in my little black light that I put inside it. It was gone anyway. So, you know, serendipity, wow. whatever. Yeah. little. It's a sad moment. I, I envy you fellas. You and your young lives. Your young children. More young children than young lives. Enjoying trick-or-treating, holding hands together. Yeah, there is a little holding hands. That's nice. Trick-or-treating. For sure. How about you? How did the Plants vs. Zombies... It, it went over mostly go? well. Um, you, tweet, so, you tweeted a photo, right? Yeah, I did put out a photo. So my, my son was a disco zombie, and I had better photos of him because I actually like glittered his shoes with Mod Podge. I actually built them as platforms, but he didn't like it, so I had to take them out. Like I made jewelry for him. Like We went to the nine on his costume, and my wife was a sunflower, and I was Crazy Dave from that game. Yeah, looking good. And I wore a pot on my head, mm-hmm. like pot, a physical cooking pot. Pot head. Uh, and yes, that's exactly what happened to me is kids kept on calling me pothead <laughs> wow. on the street. <laughs> not crazy Dave. It was not fun. Mm. At least people weren't like one kid recognized me you. at the end of the night. That can't be right. Like and I'm sure more people recognize you. He, uh, we were like a block from my house and like, he didn't say anything to me, but he like elbowed his friends. He's like, that's crazy Dave. That's crazy. Nice. And I was like, yes. Validated. Validated. All that's I needed. It was good. Like, did they see the rest of your family? Cause that helps. Yeah, okay. but I mean, I, Crazy Dave, though. That's where the costume was at. It was, good. It was pretty good. But I have to say, I think Norm's family costume took the cake. Well, they just did professional photos. Yeah, that, that was... That Shot was on an iPhone. <laughs> Shot on iPhone photos. Those photos, spoiler, were not taken on Halloween. They were taken... <laughs> Months ahead of time. No, the day after Halloween. Oh, funny. Yeah, because on Halloween night, the baby had a meltdown. Yeah. Uh, we were... We didn't... We, I mean, it, I, one, Daylight Savings was not good this year. But even without Daylight Savings, Halloween, it, it got very dark, right? And, you know, we leave work, get home at 7 o'clock, got to go meet, meet friends. We uh, actually went to meet Gary and Will and their kids, and they have found a great neighborhood to go trick-or-treating, a safe neighborhood, lots of decorated houses. In the city? In the city, in San Francisco. We'll share. Where was it? I'm not going to share. I'm not gonna, I don't want to crowd it. I'll tell you off <laughs> podcast. Okay. But, it was, but uh, you didn't go to like a Fair Oaks or a Belvedere. No, no, no. no, no. Like we, didn't, we didn't go to the like, full-size candy bar. Yeah, yeah. And where like the streets are blocked off. Yeah. Like that's a real thing that happens. Yeah. I have no idea what that's like because this is San Francisco. But there are some neighborhoods in San Francisco with some of the winding streets that were not a lot of cars go through and there are tons of people just in costume, kids and families and a lot of people go all out with their decorations. So for us, it was a lot of appreciating that. So we needed to meet up with them. They were all ready because their kids get off school early and Danica had her full get up. So if you haven't seen the photo, we did a Jurassic Park uh, themed costume, which I mentioned last week on the podcast and we had to take photos because if I, I said that if you didn't see photos, something went wrong. Something did go wrong. Yeah. Getting the whole costume. Danica was the star, I think. She was uh, Ms. DNA. 
And it was a lot of work to get those foam balls painted and lined Dino up. Dino DNA. Exactly. And the baby was a you know, baby triceratops. And part of it was kind of also celebrating the one-year anniversary of his birth. Mm-hmm. Not his necessarily his birthday. That's later. And because his expected due date was Halloween. And we really wanted to have a Halloween baby. So we didn't get our Halloween baby, but we will. <laughs> the first letdown. I, wow. <laughs> first of many, right? Thanks. Thanks, Avery. Uh, so we wanted to still celebrate the occasion. This is when he was, we're going to, and, and uh, when, when we expected him and make Halloween a thing for us, especially this being the first year for him. Uh, and but of course, what were you? I was uh, 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 Dr. Uh, Henry Wu. There you go. Yes, wearing the lab coat. Mm-hmm. I did the, the Jurassic World you, version, the you, villain version with the oh. turtleneck and the, and the badge, Jurassic World badge. Uh, super simple for me. I just needed to get, you know, the, thanks Scott E. Vest for the lab coat and, and put that on um, and be able to carry the baby because one of us needed to carry the baby. Right. She couldn't carry the baby. But long story short, because I know it's a long story, we went over to the widow's. Gary, Gary's family, yeah. to meet up with them. And Danica needed the DNA decor for her costume applied. Oh. Right, because it was going to be yeah. pinned in and, and foam taped in and stuff like that. And while I was helping with that, we gave the baby to Will. Mm-hmm. We put the baby what can in Will's arm. What? The baby loves Will. No, yeah. I, I think Will that's was, the right choice because if you yeah. gave it to Gary, Gary would end up with like a bucket of chicken somehow. <laughs> Something, right? <laughs> right. And Will, and when baby knows Will and, and, and his family and uh, Will and his wife and his daughter were there like, you know, days of, after he was born. And yeah. so they've seen him. The baby was not having it. No. He erupted in a... In a meltdown. Was Will dressed as like a clown Will or something? Was dressed as anything. He was oh, dressed okay. as a dad. Right on. He's wearing a button-up shirt and Will being Will. Huh. And he screamed and he had like boogers coming out of his nose. Yeah. And then he just wanted he wanted his mom. And and then the moment he went to his mom's arms, he just flung all the <gasps> all the, the costume apart. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh no. So I, I no so, longer envy you. Sounds like your son's gonna grow up to be a tested YouTube commenter. Yeah. With all that will hate. <laughs> so we had to not dress up and dress him up for that night and just carry him and just, you know, enjoy the d- decorations that people had put out. And company. And then in company yeah. and then put on the costume the following day and take some pictures to post on the internet. Wow. Look good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mostly it was to, to not let the work that Danica had put into the costume go to waste. Mm-hmm. Perfectly valid reason. Yeah. This is this has been an edition of Behind the Costume. <laughs> I had oh, no idea. Week. Like, I was fooled. It's always like that with those smiles. Behind costumes. those smiles. <laughs> lots, of, lots of anxiety. Lots of stress. But hope you all out there had a good Halloween. It's a lot of great photos I saw people post, not only on, on Twitter and Reddit, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's good. Oh, one special shout yeah. out. Yes. You go ahead. Go ahead. Kishore. You go. Oh, I was going to shout out Will about something. Oh, no, no. No, you shout out your thing. Um, tested contributor, Sean Charlesworth. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. Had, I, I think he and his wife had the best costume. You know, they said nobody recognized him like you. That's no. 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 Isn't that unbelievable? No. I don't accept that to be true. So Sean and his wife, Kate, went as... Well, as characters from Ghostbusters. Yes, yes. Uh, Sean went as Rick Moranis, the Keymaster, in Keymaster form. Right. This is this is like post Ghostbusters headquarters Keymaster, where he has the colander on his head with all the probes. Yes. Yeah. And he found the right colander, 
and he 3D printed a lot of the, the probes the and the pieces and, and yeah. the, uh, the greeblies and the capacitors yeah. and the, the colored wire. But it doesn't look like a 3D printed anything. It looks like a prop from the movie. I mean, 100%. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And then he got the glasses right, and then he shaved. For the first time since Kate's known him. Completely, and he had the expression perfectly. <laughs> you know the expression. You've seen Ghostbusters. Yeah. He has like slack jawed. I look. love love Rick Moranis. And then he had the you know the I'm sure he did the um, the dance. You know, like the kind of running around yeah. with the helmet on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Kate went as Sigourney Weaver. Yep. Yes. In, in that like as, shimmery dress thing as yes. the gatekeeper. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Keymaster and gatekeeper. Fantastic. It was yeah. so good. I'm sure by the end of the night they turned into terror dogs. <laughs> And our friend uh, Kate Sabaker, yes. friend of Tess, uh, went as uh, Annie Potts. Mm-hmm. From Perfect. And I don't think it was Perfect. coordinated at all. It, I was going to ask. I didn't know that. Wow. It's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so we still want to see great photos from Halloween. So if you have some, please share them. It's just a Sid t-shirt. I don't think you well, will. Yeah, not, I'm not going to you. I saw oh, people okay. out, there, out there listening. <laughs> no, we're talking about people that actually try, Jeremy. <laughs> Uh, also, this past weekend, before we get into our top story, uh, was Extra Life Marathons. Yeah, so Will uh, did his now annual 25-hour stream. He raised almost $15,000 for the kids. Nice. Uh, he almost lost control multiple times throughout the stream, I believe. What like, does that mean? Like where you're, pl- you're playing a game that's probably not appropriate for your level of tired. So they started with some Garfield Kart, which is a Mario Kart ripoff. With Garfield characters. Interesting. Uh, there was some Sea of Thieves, lots of PUBG. Hmm. Um, but it was all for the kids. But what I wanted to highlight, one of the worst things that's ever happened on the internet happened. No. And that there was a DDoS attack on Extra Life throughout the day as streamers around the world were trying to raise money What's for wrong kids. With people? Yes. Right? Oh, yeah. Awful. Yeah. That's horrible. Don't like it. You're you're no stranger to twenty four hour streams. When's the last time you did that? Octobercast. Yeah, like twenty fifteen. Okay, so yeah. it's been a while. It's been a while. Do you think you could do it? I could do it. Yeah, but I, I feel like this is a will. Yeah, Will's the I driving don't know how force. How he man. does it? He's he's got some years on you, Norm. I, I think he has the the gameplay. He he, he can be in PUBG for for so long. Whew. It's impressive. Yeah, it's definitely impressive. Congratulations to not only Will, but also everyone who and the kids. participated. And, 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 well, yes, they benefit as well, but to everyone who, uh, who played games and streamed games and watched and, and donated. Very cool. Top story this week. So we had a little debate again about what the top store would be. And while there is a lot of tech news, you know, Google buying Fitbit and Facebook changing its name to Facebook, Facebook, (laughs) our top store is going to be actually VR related this week because barring any giant news dropping, there's not been that big, big of a news week. Uh, But I did want to talk about something big in VR, Uh which was Pistol Whip. Yeah, it, when does it come out? It comes out on Thursday. It comes out maybe by the time people are listening to this, it will be out. Yeah. Release date is November 7th. Uh, so this is a cross-platform, uh, both uh, PC and Quest game. Yes, desktop VR. Simultaneous release. Simultaneous release, and I believe they have announced plans not only to do other platforms as well, like PSVR, okay. but also even location-based. They want to do like Pistol Whip arcades. Will it be on Steam? 
Yes. Yep. It's got to be on Steam. This Thursday. Yes. Cool. Yes. So if you, because uh, we're playing the trailer behind us, but if you haven't heard about this, it's from Cloudhead Games, so the folks who did the episodic um, adventure puzzle game series, The Gallery, mm-hmm. uh, Heart of the Emberstone, and Call of the Starseed. And uh, they also were the development team who worked on the Aperture Hand Lab. That's crazy, yeah. And their latest game is a complete departure from all that stuff because it is something a little bit more akin to a Beat Saber. And you, you say that, but I still, because I have not played it yet. Like okay. when we went to OC6, uh, what, two months ago or so? Yep. It was there uh, if you knew who to talk to. Right. Like it, apparently the developers were there, Cloudhead Games, in the hallways. And if you recognized them or they came up to you, you got you to could, try got the got game. You got a demo. And I think we were rushing through the hallways a little too quickly to be hailed yeah. down. That's what I'm going to chalk it up to. <laughs> and we didn't get to try it. So I haven't tried it. You, you flew up to Vancouver. Yes, and Vancouver tried Island. Yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and that's... Uh, so... Leading up to this game's release, uh, they've given out code to a bunch of people covering games and also streamers. So if you are curious about what the game looks like, and uh, you can watch a lot of some great VR mm-hmm. videos from not only uh, Upload has some, um, VR Oasis, uh, and uh, Nathy has some. So like they, they have some great videos showing, mm-hmm. giving you a sense of what it's like. So I'll do my best to describe it because I didn't really get the chance to play it until yesterday either. Okay, um, It is a music rhythm game combined with a first-person shooter. It's the simplest way to describe it. You could play the game like a Beat Saber or Autica-style music rhythm game, a Guitar Hero music rhythm game, or you can play it like a Time Crisis-like shooter. Oh, okay. Like an arcade shooter. Okay. Or Less of a rhythm action game then. Yes. Okay. The rhythm action is mostly there for scoring if you want high score. Interesting, because that is my main question. As I, I see, I've seen the videos. It's a yeah. Technicolor world where the player is standing still but magically gliding straight yes. forward the, through the world. You are propelled through the world with uh, fixed acceleration, so you're not. It's, it's not to be crazy paced. It's yeah. comfortable that way, uh-huh. and no turning, right? No turning, and you don't control your movement at all. You're just gliding forward. You can move laterally, and you have to move laterally because there are obstacles. You mean you have to step laterally? St- I'm sorry, you can yeah. step laterally, but you're not turning. Right. It is linear in Got that it. way. So We're not even like a strafe down a track. You're just physical. Straight, you, you, that's lateral movement. So you okay. do you, no you, rotational turning. Mm-hmm. Except to shoot people, but you're not yeah. like moving in that direction. Yeah, you're always going forward, and then you can sidestep around pillars. Right, but example. the game, the camera is constantly moving in the same speed in a, in one direction the entire time. Yep. And there's people, there's like figures that step out of the corners and and uh, yes. up from cover, and you have to shoot them. That's right, and it's all tuned to a track. So they have licensed and work with okay. um, a, a um, EDM band, a musician. Uh huh for these 10 tracks for their launch. And like Beat Saber, these tracks are the soundtrack for the game. And levels are designed for the tracks specifically. Okay, but so I get Beat Saber because the cubes come towards me and I hit them and I'm pretty much always going to be hitting them on the beat because that's when they got to me. Right. How does it work in Pistol Whip? Because I probably want to shoot them as soon as possible because they're going to try to shoot me. And you can. If you want to play it like Time Crisis, you can shoot them. So they... But you get more points. You get more points if you shoot them when they land, or you shoot them when a beat is landed. Is there a visual cue for there that? There is no visual cue. Okay. It is based on your rhythm, rhythm to the music, Wait, which is different for everyone. That's Wait, something I, I asked them about. You see a visual like representation after they get shot of how well you did, exactly. right? Yes. Yeah. So you shoot them, it's 200 points max per 
per uh, shot. Okay. And if you miss, if you, if you hit them uh, um, early, too early, like yeah. when they first appear, it'll be, you know, 87 points, 100 points or whatever. If you time it right to where they end in their run, mm-hmm. which is how they actually mostly time it, like it, there, there is no line in the sand, right? So it's not like the cubes, I'm going to use the Beat Saber analogy or Guitar Hero analogy, there is no line where the beats cross. Right. Because you're firing at them, right? They may be, their enemies are going to be different distances yeah. from you. But they're on, think of it like a amusement park rails, right? Think, think of it, they're animatronics on a Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Uh-huh. And it's been, the ride has been scripted so that these enemies pop up and when they end at the end of their track is typically when the beat... When they intended for you to shoot them. Yes. Okay, interesting. So you do have some time when you see them before you shoot them. Totally. Okay. And if you want to wait till they are at that sweet spot, and there's a little bit of a generous buffer there, okay. it doesn't have to be exactly precise, yeah. you also have to contend with the fact that by then, there may be more enemies on the screen, or they may be firing at you, and you may have to dodge their bullets. Right. And so that's that balance between how you can end up on the beat to get the max score with also managing the fact that you are playing FPS, essentially, and they are enemies. Interesting. Running. They're never running at you. They're mostly running perpendicular But you're to you, moving towards them. But and you are moving toward them. And uh, even on the track itself, because you can pistol right. whip them. You can hit them with, the, hit them. with the gun. Yeah. yeah. How enjoyable is the music? Because I think that was one of the keys behind Beat Saber working, is that people like the music. I think it's very addition. akin to Beat Saber. It's, it's you know, it's... It's dance pop. It's it's EDM. It's uh, you don't have to like the music to enjoy it. I think it helps if you want to get into the groove. And I think some people will really enjoy that kind of groove. And and I think a lot of people, even if they, even if you're not like an EDM fan, you could still play Beat Saber and love it because mm-hmm. you know you're you're actively engaging with the music. I, so what's the modding community going to look like for this game, if I, anything? I, I don't know. And they, they've considered it. I think they've thought about it. We'll have a lot more. I think Denny, who's the CEO of Cloudhead, yeah. uh, talked about it. That's, uh, and I think they will have more to announce. <laughs> Which is interesting, because I can imagine making it, uh, I've never done it, but I could imagine making a level for Beat Sabers fairly straightforward. You have yeah. cues on the track that you yeah. want the brick to hit to, or, you know, arrive at the person yeah. by. And you lay it out sort of like a, on a timeline. Yep. But this, there's actual geometry and you know height and. So I, I, like, I, I can give you some insight into that because part of what I did was exactly try to understand what does the composition of a level look like. Yeah. We'll have a video, probably maybe later today, if you're listening to this podcast on Thursday, not only with our full review of Pistol Whip, but also with my conversations with Denny and the level designers. So I, and I imagine I'll give you the cliff notes. Is every level different? Every level is different. Every that, song is every, different. It's not a void space. Every level yeah. is a designed space. And their whole approach to it, to take one step back, is they wanted you to feel like you were in an action sequence. The action sequence, the three-minute action sequence of a movie. You're watching John Wick. Yeah. You're watching The Matrix. And there is going to be this action montage sequence where you are watching the scene play out and the, the music, the composers have scored and the editors have, have edited that action sequence for the music. They want to make you feel like you're in that moment of an action movie. And... So they pick these songs, and the level designers listen to the songs over and over again mm-hmm. for for weeks to know it real well, yeah. right? And then they have a discussion, and they storyboard out their levels, saying, "Okay, really, this song, you know, has this build up here, 
there's a lull here, there's like a beat drop here, this peak kind of repeats itself. These are opportunities to build kind of a, 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 a pace to the level, uh-huh. right? To, and a, a pace to this action scene. So they're choreographing a three-minute action scene that you're the star of. And then they take all those notes and they literally put it on this waveform timeline and they have like an audio waveform of the entire song okay. and the level designers will say that's a beat they'll see the code of the matrix and say that's a beat that's a beat that's a beat I'm gonna put an enemy here here and here Okay. This is a crescendo to a big drop. Okay, increasing number of enemies well, here and more difficult enemies here. I, this sounds just like what you would do in Beat Saber. Right. Yep. And then they run that through a system they've built to procedurally <gasps> generate. Stop it. The geometry? Like the, the, the actual a, a building? Geometry not, uh, of, of the basic structure of the level. Okay, okay. And then they give that to an art designer ah. who then builds the artistic like crafting huh. of it to make it look like this is a kind of a bank heist theme uh, level or this one. Wait, they have different aesthetics? They have different aesthetics. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Huh. Yeah. That's like three quarters of the way to the really crazy world of gaming where it's all procedurally generated. Yeah. Is there a, a music visualizer component to it? Is the world like pulsing to the beat or anything like that? Not really. Um, at least not that I noticed. I got. I mean, we'll be playing a lot more yeah. between now and Thursday. Uh, I actually have to play a lot more tonight and tomorrow. Um, the thing that makes it work is the auto-aim system. Oh, it's generous? It's very generous. Oh. And it, that's good. <laughs> because if it, because there's a, a, a dead-eye mode that you can turn on and give you like 20% more points uh-huh. that requires precision aiming. Yeah. And going from that and the auto and the standard mode, you you could tell... Like if it, this is why I think. Remember that game Autica? Yeah. The harmonics put out. So shooting, you know, their sure. their version of a music game except shooting. But you kind of needed to be precise there. It wasn't fun for me, and we talked about it because we reviewed it because you needed to be precise. Mm-hmm. This is fun because when people play act being Neo in the Matrix or John Wick in a John Wick film, right? It's all about the poses that you're doing. Yeah. Less so much the accuracy. No one is really going to be as accurate as as John Wick. Right, unless you're playing that same level on with the dead eye mode, you know, for hours and hours at a time. So they want you to be in there and feel like hmm. you have perfect aim, and they do that with an auto aim mode. That's okay. not surface to you. Like they don't show you. It's not like Halo style auto aim. Right. You just if you have the gun in that general direction and you're firing it, you'll probably hit the enemy. So I get that this is more like Beat Saber than anything else, but I would imagine people are going to compare it to Super Hot. Just because I the think visually look for sure, yeah, and style, and I think they did that because they wanted to optimize for mm-hmm. uh, for multiple platforms for Quest, and, and also how much stimulus they wanted to give you because you you know these these Super Hot works because not only because it's low poly, but because uh, they have these high contrast silhouettes, so yeah. you know mm-hmm. it's going to be an enemy right there. Yeah, do you feel like it compares favorably? Yeah, because people love Super Hot. I mean, I love Super Hot. I think they succeed in making you feel like an action hero. And you can dual wield too, right? That is a, a modifier. Yeah. So, so it's a point are, penalty for that or something? I, I think it's either a point penalty or it's like it just changes the way you're scored. And they have different different difficulty modes. Okay. You know, easy, medium, hard, just like in Beat Saber. Okay. And just like in Beat Saber, every difficulty mode basically is the level designer redesigning the level, like handcrafting mm-hmm. how it's more difficult. How hard was it? Um, in hard difficulty, I was not getting through the maps. Okay. Because you have a, you, you can get shot, 
Mm-hmm. And you can get hit by like, the pillars in the environment. And I was definitely, for the first couple of times, dying and, and having to restart the Good. Mobs, restart the, the songs. Cool. Um, but we're going to try to do some mixed reality filming of the game to give you a sense of what it looks like. Uh, and again, I'll have those full interviews with um, Denny and his team. Um, and it was great to see them up uh, in their studio. It was really cool to see what a VR studio, game development studio of that size looks like today. Okay, Boomer, what's the story? Who's what is this reference to? You don't know the okay boomer meme? What's no, going on? No. What's that? It's it's like a it's <laughs> I don't even know why I'm explaining this. It's just a Twitter meme that is that has exploded on the scene with like a baby boomers being judgmental towards oh, younger generations. Ah, okay. Boomers. Uh, which sets up our next story. Yeah. Except now I had to explain it and it doesn't work so well. <laughs> That's the most boomer thing yeah. we could have done is had you explain and not get the meme. Uh, so, oh, I don't know why we're talking about this. But let's talk about it. Martin Scorsese has clarified his comments that have been blown maybe I think fairly say out of proportion. Well, it's more of a conversation now because he said something like a month ago about how Marvel films aren't cinema and a lot of people involved in Marvel films had something to say and now he's just continuing the conversation. So what were his clarifications? Uh, I I don't think there were... There are a couple. One is like that it's not that... It's that, A, he grew up in a different generation before these films came about. And in the time that he grew up, there was sort of a kind of a a way cinema was developed and storytelling was developed. And because he grew up in a world that was pre-Marvel, even though that's not true, he just didn't read the comic books that were out at at the time he came up, that he just doesn't see that as being stories that attract him. And to, to quote him, he says uh, that he, he developed a sense of movies of what they were and what they could be that was as far from the Marvel Universe as we are on Earth from Alpha Centauri. Which is only four light years. So like, let's not, <laughs> like, it's not that far. <laughs> he could have said Vega. Um, I don't know why he's doubling down on this. Well, look, let's... He can say they're not for him, but to position, also to position what he's saying, like he's not like the guardian of of cinema, right? Right. Yeah. He's just saying they're not for him. And like who would be surprised if filmmakers that came before him, or like if Buster Keaton probably said this stuff about Martin Scorsese seeing some of the initial. Right. Samuel L. Jackson said that this was akin to saying Bugs Bunny isn't funny. Yeah. Right. I think I get it. Like that's, that's just not your taste. It's perfectly understandable. You're from another generation. Um, but I, I think like if you try to be objective here, he's coming from a place that's under, that people can relate to if they just take a moment to sort of look at the grain of truth that might be behind whatever he's saying. Cause he hasn't seen a lot of these movies. So I don't think that a lot of his, he uh, said he's tried broad brushes are very right. Justified. But I, I think in his, and, and let's take the Marvel equation out of it. So what is cinema to Martin Scorsese? Right. Mobsters. Look, well, he says it's an art form. He says an art form that takes risks. Right. And he thinks that Marvel movies are theme park rides. Because he doesn't... Where there is no risk. Because there's no... 
emotional danger or revelation They're or very, mystery. He says, I disagree. That's not, I, and I completely disagree. I disagree. And that goes that. to him not having seen or right. well, having no investment. In. Uh, but I think his point is the, they're so market tested and they are variations on a theme. You know how they're going to end most of the time. And so they, they don't, they, they lack a surprise. You know, you're going to walk off that roller coaster, but it's thrilling to be on it. What he wants to do is do something a little more real. I think that's where he's coming from. That's a very, very narrow view and definition of cinema, which is fine, which is his right to define. And it, it definitely tells us the type of films he's interested in making. Yeah. We won't be seeing a Martin Scorsese directed Marvel film anytime. I do think it's, it's a little ironic that he's made, that he made this variations on a theme comment because his movies are arguably the same thing. Mob, um, mob movies. Yeah. And I mean, I love Scorsese and his films and he's a brilliant guy. Um, you should watch his inside the actor studio interview, but it is, it's unfortunate that he doesn't appreciate this. Although I think where he's coming from stems in places we don't know anything about. I think he's right that Hollywood has been trying to do this kind of thing that the Marvel cinematic universe has accomplished for decades and now they're doing it successfully and it makes it a lot harder for people who are artists and are tours and don't have that kind of budget or interest in doing market testing to make a movie that isn't as commercially successful. And, and he concludes, this is all in the New York Times, he says that he separates cinema from what he calls worldwide audiovisual entertainment. Yeah. Which is his way of saying, it's a fancy way of saying mainstream movies. Yeah. It's funny that you could trace the roots of this kind of movie making back to Star Wars, I think. And that George Lucas at the time was a completely whacked out, innovative auteur artist filmmaker. You know, yeah. he, he is what Scorsese's and then, holding and, up. And Star Wars was, yeah, was bold and risky and different. Absolutely. But because it was so financially successful, yeah. that model became remixed to a way that it's, it's safe financially. Right. Uh, and that's his fear, right? He says that the fear of the financial dominance of one is used to marginalize and belittle the existence of the other, which means he's coming from this at a, from a place of fear for the type of movies he wants to see and the type of movies yeah. he wants to if, make. And I think that's very narrow-minded because there's room for both. And there are some amazing films, more films being made well, today than he, ever before. If there are bad films consistently being made outside the Marvel genre... But I've seen Midsummer and Parasite and and all these just and like I'm just picking horror movies for some reason. But there's been this wealth of incredible cinema beyond this genre that is clearly not being dominated by it. Yeah. I, to be clear, he is talking about movies in the theater. Like that is And a, that's the other thing that he doesn't want to cross. And I know ironically Ironically the Irishman is not in the theaters. <laughs> but it well, is. It is too. Very limited release. Only in order to meet like, you know, rules for the Academy. Right. Yeah. And if, if he's talking about the cinematic experience of what people feel when they're sitting in a movie theater, Marvel and Disney above more so than any other company has done a better job of putting people in seats. Yeah. That's true. That's true. That's true. Let people enjoy things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we're done with this. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if you want to read the clarifications, it's on the New York Times. Uh, Mars Cassis, you know, is promoting The Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of non-cinema, 
things that you can only watch on maybe your TV or maybe a 6.5-inch device that you have in your hand mm -hmm. because you bought an iPhone this year. Apple TV Plus launched over the weekend, and the first slew of shows are out from The Morning Show to C uh, to uh, uh, For All Mankind. Uh, this is Apple's big streaming play. It's free for most people who bought uh, you know new iOS devices mm -hmm. and Apple devices this year. And have you guys watched any of it? I, I watched one, not legally, um, and I saw The Morning Show. Uh, I found it to be a little all over the place. Uh, and uneven and not like I think it's trying to be Sorkin-esque mm. in its sort of feel and pacing. And it's not quite grabbing me. Hmm. Uh, so it's not out the gate like a home run uh, like I felt with some other shows like Fleabag or something else like that. But I've only seen one episode. It, it, they're doing the Netflix thing where all episodes drop at once, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Is that right? I have, Don't I, know, I have no you're idea. The, you're the one with the, with access to it. And guess what? I'm holding off, not because... What? You have I'm, a I'm year of it. That's not because I'm not interested in content, because I know what they're going for right now. They want me to subscribe for my free year. <laughs> I want to hold that off till I want it, because I want to extend that free year as long as possible till when I have time to actually watch it. Oh and I don't gosh. have the time right now. It starts when you click OK, try my free year. Yeah. And they want to lock me into forgetting about the subscription a year from now and then paying five bucks a month to get content that I may or may not want. And I'm not sure I want well, it. The, I, rev the reviews on C are not good. Um, and the reviews on For All Mankind seem a little all over the place as well. You were interested in Ghostwriter. Do you know what the reviews are of that? I wonder. I, don't know. Yeah. I, I might wait a couple months. So more content's out there and spend a month binging this stuff because, and, and even when I start signing up, I will start, I will create a reminder for myself using the very Apple device I purchased to get this free year subscription to cancel the subscription and, after a year. Cause I don't want to, I don't think I need Apple. TV I will Plus. say for as public as it's been about how much they're spending on these shows, there hasn't been the commensurate buzz about these shows as must watch endeavors to justify how much that investment. Right. Maybe that's to come. Maybe we're just so early. I think it has to do with Disney Plus. I think that they have been lost in this in the 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 void. Well, and also the impending HBO Max. I don't, I don't know if that has just as much of an effect. Mostly <laughs> Disney Plus. Seven bucks a month. Very compelling with all the the Marvel stuff and the Star Wars stuff. Yeah. Mandalorian. Uh, speaking of movies and superhero stuff, we got an announcement for the release date for Into the Spider-Verse 2. It's going to be the year 2022. Is when it comes out. April yeah. 8th, 2022 for the next Spider-Verse. That's a long time. It came out in 2018. The animators can only animate so fast, Norm. I mean, give their hands a, a break. Years. I, I'm glad yeah. they're going to take their time with it. And I hope a lot of that creative team is going to retain, is going to be there. Um, They're only doing the 12 frames a second, too. They should do that. <laughs> Shouldn't take that long. <laughs> only part of the film is 12 frames a second, the animation. The, the rest, I believe, is in, is in 24. And I bet all the simulated particle effects and simulation effects yes. are done at 24. Thank you, the uh, data. What's the release date for the next Marvel MCU Spider-Man movie? I don't even know. Oh, they didn't announce that, right? Because he came so late. What do the negotiations or no? Did I get that wrong? I'm, I'm going to, I'm do a quick Google search because I believe, um, 
I don't think there's been a date announced. I think yeah. they, they announced a year. Uh, okay. The film is scheduled. Oh, July 16th, 2021. Oh, there you go. There you go. So we're talking about Sony potentially not wanting to crowd the field mm. with two Spider-Man movies, which also gives me hope that Into the Spider-Verse will have Tom Holland in it. Mm. Okay. Like as a live character or an animated character? I'll take either. Okay. Animated character. I don't, I don't need them to... I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cross that line. Probably just an animated character. I'm hoping they pick up the thread that was at the... Uh, towards the end of that movie. There was a hint. Well, that um, yeah. Gwen Stacy, uh, uh, Spider-Gwen, was able to communicate through dimensions with, with Spider-Man, mm-hmm. with Miles Morales. Oh, they got to bring that back. Of yeah. course. I, I, I think they, I, they'll, bring, they'll definitely bring back um, those characters. I, I just don't know if it'll be like more. They'll ha- and, oh, you know what? You're talking about the end credit sequence. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, I, thought, the, I, thought, the, the I thought you meant the, the romance. Romance will be there. Okay. The, the post credits, I think they're going to push that. And wasn't that um, Oscar Isaac? Is that who the voice was? Who oh, was I don't know. It, Norm is Googling again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, that was, of course, Spider-Man 2099. And yes, it was Oscar Isaac. All right. That'd be super cool. Yeah. Spider-Man 2099. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Network Television. There's a show coming on uh, Fox uh, early next year. Maybe may of interest. I don't know when's the last time you watched one a, a network show and two a network competition show. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my son is interested in a new rap um, competition show uh, on. I think it's on Netflix. It's like the Voice for rappers. Okay. That's the last one I saw. Not a network. Not show. a network show. It's as close as I can get. Okay. My wife watches anything with the word baking championship attached to it so <laughs> yes i've seen a lot of those well this one involves lego yep. it is called lego masters and it's apparently an adaptation of a uk show and they just found their host it is will arnett aka second lego, best batman ever lego batman <laughs> and my question is how is it taking this so so long for a, a network to have a lego competition show what's a lego competition show norman I think they're going to have contestants who have a long history of Lego, people that we may have met oh, at, yeah. at Lego conventions yep. who are uh, not only maybe uh, uh, AFOLs, adult fans of Lego, but kids mm-hmm. who have great uh, uh, building skills mm-hmm. and do my own creations. And, and good on-screen personalities. Hopefully. I mean, that's, yeah. what, that's what the casting is yep. for, for, uh, for these reality competitions. But these are builders that they're going to put them through incredible challenges that put their creations to the test. What do you imagine, though? Do you, here's a bucket of pieces. I'm, build me a space shuttle go Un- unlimited options it's but lego is that it is it like i a, think a i think there's gonna be themes timed challenge themes with time i think there'll be some like scarcity ones where you only get a certain amount of bricks a or certain, some of this type of brick uh, yeah. or, you have to, or, or the mystery ingredient you have to use yeah yeah this type of brick there will be ones that have to incorporate motion or some sort of like mm. motor like Technic something or like, and, yep yep i i think they're gonna test the the builds not only for their aesthetic um, quality, but also for things like durability and for like, animation. And all of these have guest judges that come in that inform the theme. So there'll be like really you know, a Marvel episode or like, you know, something like that will happen. Got it. 
So I guess the challenge of putting on a Lego competition is how do you make it visually interesting for an audience, especially the build process. Is, right. is because, Will Ornette going to assist them? Is he going to be? He's going to support them. He's like the Tim Gunn to the whole thing, where he's I, like, no, no, no. He's he's gonna gonna assist no, them. he's, he's going to be the, the color commentator. He's going to wisecrack. Yeah. Okay. Because I don't see him being very no. helpful. No, I don't see him putting <laughs> bricks together. You mean him going <laughs> like through the background is going to like really inspire people? He's going to Lego Batman voice the entire time. He'll have a giant <laughs> Lego Batman cowl. Yeah, they'll put on. It's good. Yeah, they're going to lean into that. It's, although it'll be on Fox, so I don't know if they'll have the rights to, to Batman, Lego Batman. Oh, that's interesting. But what's a Lego, uh, what, what is a challenge you'd like to see on, on our Lego competition? Regardless of network and what format it's in, like what, would, what would be interesting for you to watch? Like build a spaceship. Would a spaceship be a cool <sighs> challenge for you? No, no. Like that. So I'm trying, to wonder, I'm trying to think like just the spectacle of watching it. How is watching people build Lego interesting at all uh, you know now it's, a you're just, it's a question i've been trying to solve for seven yeah, years now you're just attacking <laughs> tested i don't know what you're doing speed builds blindfolded builds i mean i get like i watched project runway for a while because yeah. my my wife got me into it and that's a fine show but there's an element of like practicality to build to making um you know clothing and working with limited Textures. But you're talking about problem solving, though. Yeah, you're just, that's something that I can see. I can't imagine what are they going to do with Legos. They're not going to have you use anything but Legos because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's their thing. It's the that's system. True. Yep. So uh, I just don't see how that's going to be interesting. But I, I look forward to being informed. My <laughs> my fear for this is a lot of the creation, the best stuff I've seen, Lego by nature is, is small scale. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you're not going to have time if they're producing this like a standard competition show, you're going to and you're, you have like uh restriction on how many hours you can film, right? You're not going to have these contestants working for days at a time on on a creation they're gonna have part of what hours at most reality shows interesting is not that it's that they have to go to like a shop and find what they need in 10 minutes like that that's that's one aspect and there's different there's different formats and (laughs) so you make a really good point because i i do think there's an opportunity for uh this to be in the model of the great british bake-off Yes, that's where I was going mm-hmm. to. Where that is filmed week to week because it gives the contestants time to go home and practice their recipe. Oh, I didn't know they did that. And 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 work on refining. And so uh, what's not about coming up with the design on the spot. You're talking about the, it's the, about execution. The British baking show? Yeah. Uh, well, it's called the Great British Bake Off because we watched the British baking show. It's they different. they had to rename it for US because oh. Bake Off is a I think it's a Sara Lee um, a license so thing. it is the same show it's the exact same show you're making the Big Ten yeah. and it's the two co- comedian hosts uh-huh. yeah, yeah. I, I think so it's the same show okay. uh, and with uh, Paul Hollywood and okay never mind I don't know what I'm talking about did you, did you know that for that show when it aired in the UK and it's aired for however many dozens of seasons in the UK it's called Great British Bake Off yeah. on that show mm-hmm. in the US when you watch it on Netflix or PBS it's called Great British Baking Show they okay. have to change it yeah. so where is that, like, how do they change it, right? Uh, the the award you get, it's not a cash prize. It's about yeah. being celebrated as the best baker. Good bake, good bake. Uh, you get a, a platter, right? The, the, you get a serving tray, and it has etched on there, yeah. Great British Bake Off. Uh, In the U.S. version, they CG'd over that no to way. say they did not. Great British mm-hmm. Baking That's Show. going too far. Yeah. Uh, there's another one where people take junk, people bring to the to the 
you know, to drop off at the trash, they take it from them and they make it an art or something nice and then, yes, sell, and then yeah. sell it. Yeah. And they give the profits to the person who get, left the junk. I don't like, think it'll be like that. That's interesting. How is this going to be at that interesting? Well, there's, there are Lego artists like Nathan Sway does a large sculpture in Lego, you know, usually yeah. monotone, single color sculpture, but those are, and that's something that may be more presentable in this format, but that takes a lot of time. Uh, so a challenge maybe, you know, build a, build, uh, an astronaut, a life-size astro- uh, spacesuit in, in in Lego, or a sculpture of a, of a of a figure, a dragon in Lego, and then you would have to piece everything together yeah. and see if it structurally holds. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, that that see there that that could be that could be interesting. Oh, I don't think you. No, oh, we're not on the same page. No, no. no. <laughs> I think it matters who you get as judges. So yeah, yeah Lego matters. judge is important. That matters. And I, to be clear, like. I love, I went to the, the Lego amusement park. What's it called? Lego land. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed myself. And you like the sculptures you see there and you wonder I'm, who puts those together. I'm nuts about Lego sculptures, but I just don't see how it's a reality TV show. That's all I'm saying. Well, there's a British version of this show, Lego masters that we can reference and Great. I haven't seen it. Great. So I'll see if I can find a copy and watch and I'll, I'll relay. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the challenges that Lego masters, capital M. Yeah. Have to go through to get certified yeah. as master builders. Mm-hmm. But that would also be cool. Okay. Maybe at the end, the, the, the team that wins, the person that wins, gets to be certified a master builder. I could absolutely see this working as a Christopher Guest mockumentary style. Oh, don't do that. Reality That's show. mean. That would be funny. That, you guys aren't on my page about this. All right, <laughs> no. sorry. Zero interest from Jeremy. Uh, okay, back to streaming news. Um, we had HBO Max last week, and a little bit later to the party, well, Universal, NBC, also has a streaming service coming up. Now, they don't have details on this yet. They, we do know they have The Office, and there are a bunch of NBC, you know, uh, Thursday night NBC television that they have previously licensed to other companies for yeah. streaming that they may want to then save for their own streaming service. Now, I don't think they can get away with a $15 a month streaming service, maybe even not a $7 a month streaming service. So the latest news is that they're considering having a free streaming service and completely be ad-supported. Okay. And do the ad-free services optional with a fee? Sounds like YouTube. Or Hulu. Is Hulu the same kind Hulu, of service? Yeah, hmm. yeah. Hulu is is free with with ads, and they've made it work somehow. Although they also have a paid mo- version with ads as well, but you can watch on <laughs> mobile devices and not okay. just your your laptop. All right. Uh, over the weekend, there was BlizzCon. Mm. Did either of you follow the BlizzCon activities and festivities and announcements? Uh, just a little bit. Uh, the only thing that stood out to me was they're making a Diablo four. Okay. That's big, big deal. So that's common. Yeah, there are some screenshots. You can see what it looks like. There's a trailer. I bet it's going to look great. Yeah, but it's all cinematic, right? Yeah. Uh, there's. I is there gameplay in it? There's gameplay in it. Okay. Uh, I'm more interested in Overwatch too, um, because are you though? Yes, because I think Overwatch is probably up there with the best games I've ever played. Whereas Diablo also, is not. Jeremy is announcing today his <laughs> transition to esports player. <laughs> And whoa, you can esports Diablo Four Seniors Division. You're gonna you're gonna jump over uh, Twitch streamer, Overwatch streamer to right to esports competitor. If he'll have me, okay. Um, 
I I don't. You guys probably didn't play too much Overwatch. No. Uh, Will and I played it for a bit when it came out, and I, and I really, really, I st- only stopped playing because somebody uh, told me I wasn't a good Pharah. Like I, <laughs> I was enjoy, enjoying the heck out of that game. I thought I was a great Pharah, and then some guy tells me this with voice chat in front of everybody. Oh no, that I'm not, and it hurt my feelings, and I quit. But I'll give it a try for the sequel. What's interesting about the sequel is that. Uh, all of the interesting gameplay mechanics, all the new levels, all the new weapons, all the new characters, they come for free to Overwatch 1 owners. Yeah, it's How about that? It's, great. it's not going to be a sequel like StarCraft 2 was to StarCraft 1, meaning no. they're not going to migrate all the players over to a new game that you're paying 60 bucks for. It is essentially a DLC pack with exclusives. Well, it's a, all new to pay for. Yeah, it's been, it's a story mode, it's a co-op PVE story mode that will be exclusive to Overwatch 2. Right, I think that's mainly what Overwatch 2 is. Plus, maybe some new designs to the characters. But I'm not, so it's not clear if those new designs to me if it comes to the Overwatch One community or not. Any but, new characters? Yeah, but they all come to Overwatch One for free. Um, that's what matters, I think, to the community. I think I don't know. So and I, new maps. I'll love playing this PVE mode. I think that sounds like a ton of fun. I mean, Blizzard pretty much has a good track record for um, most of their games. Truth. So I, you know. Sign me up. Overwatch 2. No one knows when to buy it, though. Yeah, they haven't announced release date. It will be on all the same platforms. Overwatch 1 is on PC, PS4, Xbox One, and most recently, Overwatch launched on Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Uh, so it really is a way for them to say have you this tried is that? the biggest update so far that you'll have to pay for. Controls on Switch are hard. Like, oh, really? I believe it. It's not designed for yeah. that. Pro Controller, even? It would be. It's much better with Pro Controller. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, well, before we move on to our next segment, because that does it for pop culture news, uh, I want you to know that This Is Only a Test is also made possible this week with support from Netgear. Is your Wi-Fi feeling old? Does it buffer while streaming? Does connecting new devices slow it down? Can it handle gaming, video calls, large file transfers all at once? Well, it doesn't matter how fast your internet connection is if your Wi-Fi, ra- Wi-Fi router is old and outdated. With Orbi Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear, your Wi-Fi will feel new again. Wi-Fi 6 is the latest tech that allows for more devices to connect and stream simultaneously without impacting speed or reliability. The result means that you get the fastest Wi-Fi for all your devices anywhere in your home. You can stream in 4K, HD, or even 8K without buffering, eliminate lag from gaming, and connect more devices to your Wi-Fi than ever before. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is like upgrading your Wi-Fi to first class. And if you're ready for the best Wi-Fi ever, you can get it today from Netgear and never worry about Wi-Fi again. Check out Orbi Wi-Fi 6 at your local Best Buy or at netgear.com slash best Wi-Fi. That's netgear.com slash best Wi-Fi. So Google bought Fitbit. Oh yeah. Expected big deal. I think it's a big deal from this perspective. Um, as somebody that uses Wear OS, Wear OS has been like the ugly stepdaughter in the Android ecosystem uh, and the Google sort of smart device ecosystem. I feel like I get very few updates to it. If you look at Google Fit, like there was lots of community complaints about stuff like stopping working and it didn't seem like there was a lot of development staff on it. So if they're going to invest $2 billion in a wearable company 
it seems to indicate maybe they're migrating back to Wear OS. They have the least market share of any company in that wearable space. Um, and so maybe they're making a broader push here. When you say Wear OS, you're talking about your Android watch, right? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's okay. watch OS, but for Android. Got it. Wear OS, while there have been a lot of OEMs making new Wear OS watches, the hardware hasn't changed. And the software updates are still kind of slow and they've been lagging fine. But it does make a sense because Apple... It took them a couple generations of Apple Watch to really narrow on to who the buyer was. And yeah, it's Apple fans, but it's also people who exercise, yeah. who go on runs. And Apple, if you watch their latest Watch OS ads, it is about fitness and health. And that's something that Fitbit has a lot of experience in and a lot of data mm-hmm. uh, for. So we all agree. I hope uh, it revitalizes Wear OS. And I think the exciting thing we'll be seeing uh, what they do with it probably, hopefully, but if not this year's Google I.O., but definitely the year following. Yeah, I'm excited or go about away. it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, it, it could easily, in a few months, we could be talking about this as a talent acquisition. But at $2 billion, it's not, it's certainly not as big as, like, the Nest acquisition um, but it's not nothing. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So I, I think they're going to, you know, be in the space for a little while longer. Uh, I read a really interesting story in the New York Times uh, from writer Kendra uh, Pierre-Lewis, who actually did like a deep dive into uh, the functionality of um, of the uh, oxygen meters in some of these devices. And they use this like green light to essentially oh, yeah. uh, do the work and how that works much less efficiently with people with dark skin than people with lighter skin. And um, it seemed like, and I don't know if this is 100% true, but from reading the article, like people hadn't just asked that basic question um, in some of the early development of it. How is that not a part of the testing? Yeah, I don't know. It was a really fascinating read because I didn't think about that kind of like simple thing in the device development. Uh, So weird. Yeah. Either of you wear Fitbits? No, my kids might wear Fitbit. Uh, I don't know who makes this watch that they they have a cool uh, watch that tracks their activity level, and it doesn't need to be recharged uh, for a year. It's pretty cool. Is it because it's very efficient, or yeah. because it actually it's is efficient. like a, a watch that the movement charges? No, nope. just efficient. Okay. Or you tell them it's just tracking their fitness level, but it's just really tracking their location. Oh, I wish that would probably need to be recharged <laughs> every day. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me that device. Uh, let's say in four to five years when Avery gets old enough that I'll, yeah. I'll need to use it. Um, remember Microsoft had their big Surface event uh, in October? Shortly after New York Comic Con, they announced a bunch of stuff like yeah. the new Surface Pros. Of course, most of the attention uh, went to their Surface uh, Neo and uh, the uh, the foldable Surface that's going to launch next holiday season. But one interesting new product was the Surface Pro X which is while it's a Surface-like device that's tablet, hybrid tablet PC with the optional keyboard and the kickstand, it's very different in that it runs the ARM version of Windows 10. Thinner, uh, bigger screen, uh, smaller bezels, and has an interesting keyboard that, with the recess holder for the stylus. Well, the reviews for the Surface Pro X mm-hmm. are out now, and they're kind of mediocre. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think as expected, 
the people were, were impressed, I think, by the performance of this ARM processor because it was a special, like they had pushed mm-hmm. for this collaboration between Microsoft and Qualcomm. It was a special chip that they had made. And I think um, there was a lot of excitement about the hardware primarily. And so people were pleasantly surprised. Yes. Or at least in line with expectations. No, everything about the industrial design's beautiful. Screen's great. Touchscreen, of course. Uh, battery life seems to be okay, not great, if you're going to compare it to a thing like a Chromebook. Or my kids watch. Or, or your kids watch. But the thing that is the most problematic with this is that this is a premium product that's being sold for, you know, upwards, if you can little accessories, upwards of almost $2,000, at least 1500 bucks for a high-quality uh, SKU, and it has app compatibility problems because hmm. it's running the ARM version of Windows 10. Not surprising, but yeah, kind of a deal breaker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so it's a little bit unfortunate. I think that's it sucks that again, like Microsoft has had this problem for so long where the team that makes the, the Surface team that makes the hardware can push out really great stuff, but also needs to be in, in service to the Windows team. And those two are not always in line. And sometimes the problems the, the, with, with Windows in terms of like screen resolution and compatibility and all this stuff gets in the way of the hardware making the most out of it. So it's a little bit unfortunate. My kid's watch is the Garmin VivoFit Junior. Oh, that's what out. my kid has. Yeah, good battery life, right? Yeah, it runs for like a year. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's okay. Uh, something just announced by Microsoft, though, also super interesting from a technology standpoint, is the first demonstration, we'll call it, or the first presentation example mm-hmm. of what they called Project Silica. Oh, this wow. is something that they announced last year. Uh-huh. As something they mean, uh, their Microsoft Research Department, in cooperation with uh, university, I believe, I'm not sure which university it was, had been working on. But this is about putting uh, solving the problem of of disk storage, going from magnetic tape drives to spinning hard drives, SSDs, and something that would last be archival quality. Because right now, magnetic storage, tape storage, is yeah. still how a lot of companies back up. Their data because it's the uh, cheapest kind of storage at that quantity and yeah. at that reliability. Right, right. Otherwise, you're basically going from NAND drive to NAND drive and spinning disk drive, spinning disk drive as long, and it won't last forever. And you, you just have to replace the hard drives every few years. Like yeah. that's the solution. Yeah. It's not a good one. Nope, not a good one. So one of the, the ways they'd gone uh, explored uh, with Pro- Project Silica is with storing data in glass, in little sheets of glass, and. The presentation they did last year talked about how they would be using these high-density lasers to literally etch mm-hmm. volumetrically in glass. That sounds very fragile. In glass. Like, that sounds like I could scratch that glass. But it's on the inside of the glass. Whoa. And so the exterior, durability-wise, could be scratched. But as long as you can read mm-hmm. the etchings inside the crystal... Crystal, it's like at the crystal. mall where I can get like a the 3D? Swarovski. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. They call that crystal. Crystal's just glass, right? Uh-huh. So they're etching things in the glass inside the volume of a of a, sl- a slice. Wow, of glass, and that then is read and run through a decoding algorithm, which is where a lot of the secret sauce is, and then you get the equivalent of data in storage, converted to zeros and ones. Mm-hmm. So the paper they had put out last year when they first announced this talked about how at the 
the size of a like a DVD disc or Blu-ray disc, uh, they were looking at potentially getting up to one terabyte on that right now hmm. with the theoretical density of up to 360 terabytes on uh, what would look like you know, a, a sliver of a DVD disc. So we're not talking about isolinear chip quality right now in terms of densities, <laughs> but they're getting there. And that's going to be an order of magnitude higher than DVDs. If you can get 360, 400 terabytes on, on DVD, DVDs, what, five gigs? Especially that's, when it's essentially glass. So it's not, you're not mining the same kind of rare components yeah. like you would silicon. So orders of magnitude higher. And the first presentation today was actually a partnership they announced with Warner Brothers to store uh, a copy of the Chris Reeves 1978 film Superman. Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman also. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Margaret Margaret Kidder. Mm-hmm. Yes. And among others, but also Christopher Reeve, uh, onto what looks like a rectangular piece of glass the size of a mini disc. So is this going to be a consumer-facing product ever? Ever? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Short term? No. Near term? No. Yeah. I mean, Microsoft ever, is all probably. enterprise mostly these days in terms of stuff. Make that, like, pop-up go away. But, yeah, okay. I guess, you you know, so enterprises want to store their data permanently. This isn't meant to be accessed frequently. This is a storage device. I mean, but if the technology is there eventually, you're yeah. able to access it you know, frequently. Okay. You'll have the really? decoding and the processing really? to run it. I, I, I imagine that they're taking their important archives, they're putting them on this, and then they put them in a padded case, and then they put it on a shelf. That probably is, in the near term, how this would be used. Microfiche. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's going to be read-only. I don't think there's going to be hardware... Right consumer hardware to write on this glass and definitely not to rewrite on the glass. No. Right? This is going to be write once. It's yeah. going to be <laughs> DVD ROMs. Right. <laughs> yeah, like, let's not look for the this rewrite silica glass disc. That yeah. seems a little much. Um, this is amazing technology, how they're actually using the polarization of light to create, like, different sort of layers and orientation for the voxels that are being created inside. Um Glass library. I, I just foresee the future glass storage project silica equivalent of that classic tech TV video where the guy holds that wax cylinder and his hands are shaking. And he talks about how priceless oh the cylinder is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it shatters. Yeah. I think they debunked that. I think that was actually a, a joke. That was a joke. Yeah. But that, except with glass. This, this is the only <laughs> copy of, of Superman Returns. Drop, shatter. <laughs> Oh, I want to. No. I want to see the Nicolas Cage movie that's eventually going to develop, where they steal the Declaration of Independence from this facility. Mm. Yeah, mm. this is the only copy of the Declaration of Independence on silica glass. <sighs> and then they have to build the laser machine to read it. I always heard it would be holographic storage, and that's not what this is. No, so it's something different. Yeah, okay. yeah. this it's, is just laser etching. Yeah. yeah, I kind of understand Just this. Yeah, this one is actually, uh, it, the decoding is the part that's hard yeah. to understand. How they convert that density into bits and and how they get around the problem of, like you said, scratches on the surface of the class that may prevent the reading. Yeah. I mean, they, they I'm sure they have temperature control systems, but I would think that's actually the bigger issue is any changes to the size of the material, like any expansion or contraction of the material. Or melting. 
Well, come on, that's a massive change in temperature, but even tens of degrees could have uh, an impact on the um, on the the you know yeah. the kind of sub micron level mm. voxels that are being developed. Just put it in the cloud, right? Yeah, that's the solution I mean, to everything. Imagine X number of years from now, however many years from now, you could go to the store and. And CBS will put out a collection of every Star Trek episode ever mm -hmm. on a piece of glass that looks like an isolinear chip. Count me in. I'll, there's got to be USB sticks that look like an isolinear chip. But they're not transparent. No, they're like, not, they're they not totally crystal. They wouldn't be totally transparent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if tinting affects this process. Oh my God. Can you tint it right, like, like an, or like, yeah. See, I'm thinking an LP, like a translucent LP where they went in different colors. Mm. Yeah, but you're right. That would yeah. look cool. You gotta swap them real fast, like data. <laughs> TNG. Uh, what also seems like magic is this new open source AI tool. This is cool. I, uh, this what does is, this do? This is the story I'm most excited to talk about this week on This Is Only a Test. Um, have you ever heard of Deezer? It's a music streaming service. I'd never heard of them. Nope. Well, apparently they have some engineers on their team who like to have a good time. And so what they did was they developed an open source project that they have put on GitHub for anybody to use. They called it an experiment. And what it does is it will, you feed it a song and it will isolate the vocals and everything else and provide you with two different tracks, one with the vocals and one without. And clean. Well, it's pretty darn good. Like, I don't know if you've ever tried to EQ out vocals, like for a karaoke party or something like that. It's not easy to get rid of the vocals. Like, yeah. There's always something left behind. Wait, wait, you're saying that people try to create karaoke tracks <laughs> yeah. by taking yeah, like a FLAC file sure. of, a, of a pop song and mm -hmm. running it through an algorithm to actually remove the vocals to slice it out? I mean, who I, hasn't done that on a late on a how? Friday night? <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine that works out well. It it doesn't. It doesn't work out well. It's very hard to remove the vocal tracks. That's why people like to get the, the studio track masters and they mm -hmm. get those. That, that's the best thing. But yep. if you can't get that, and you can't for most songs, uh, you can run it through this. And it uses uh, Google's um, uh, machine learning uh, open source project. What's it called? Like Tinselware or something like that? Mm. Um, it's probably right here in front of me. And it's super fast. It's 100 times faster than real time if you use a GPU. Oh. I mean that's fast, but you how good? How good you feed are the it results? a song? You feed it a song, and it out it out it spits either uh, the two tracks, or it can isolate drums, piano, bass. No. Yes, all, I need to all hear into no. different tracks. I need to hear a sample. Okay. Can so you it, run it? Can you run Bohemian Rhapsody through it? Well, I can't. But I mean, because I'm right. I don't have it installed. But we could do that. Yes. Yes. And could you get like yes. the it however e many dozens of tracks? It will even export a track called Other because it doesn't even know. Like what is what is this stuff? Well, okay, give us So check it out. Give us this is an example. And this is this is an interesting thing because Norm gets very nervous about playing copywritten tracks on the podcast because we get YouTube flagged. That's right. So this is an experiment. Will these be flagged? Because these are altered versions of the original songs. So we'll, we will conduct an experiment. But using Google's TensorFlow. Yes, thank you. TensorFlow? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here we go. This is A Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin. Or is it? Vocals only. Way down inside. Honey, you need it. Not bad. So it's you can bad. hear some distortion. Yes. Yeah. I'm gonna give you my yeah. But also some of that is just the reverb that's actually a part of the recording that they've added to the vocal track. How can how would it 
I guess machine learning. Here is the exact same song, the other file it exported with no vocals. All right, you played too much of the song. There are vocals in this part of the yes. song, but they're not there. I feel like Google Content ID is going to flag this so fast. But it's not what, it's not, the, the shouldn't be the fingerprint it because there be. are vocals there. That's better than I thought it would be. Isn't yeah. that amazing? Yeah. Here's I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Oh, so it I'm, picks up the background at the yeah. same time. I'm more impressed by the music instrument yes. only well, track than the, talk the about, only, but talk, which is probably harder. To talk do, about like a, a karaoke, you know, gold mine. Yeah. Like any song you want now. It's super cool. Uh, so, I mean, I just imagine some avid listener is going to EQ me out of this entire <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Uh, they call it splitter because it splits files. Oh God! Yeah, um, there you we go. We were doing so well before mm. the naming. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, S p l e e t e r. Mm. It's super, I think it's awesome. Uh, okay, uh, Adobe Max is going on right now. Well, for us, it's earlier this week. For you out there, Joey's actually going there. Check out some stuff. And one of the things that was shown in Adobe Max or launch in time for it uh, is uh, Photoshop for iPad. So Photoshop for iPad, it's out. it's out. It's not the full functioning Photoshop, but it will ingest your PSD files and you can see the layers and you can you know, do a lot of what you would be able to do in Photoshop um, on your iPad. And it is free only if you have a Creative Cloud subscription, whether that's the <laughs> full Creative Cloud subscription or the photographer one that gives you Lightroom and Photoshop. I'm so a value add for those folks. I have CS4. Oh, you're, you're one of those old school hold, holdouts. It has never failed me. I don't know why people upgraded. They're going to... great. They're going to... Well, if you're doing photo editing, yes. But if you're doing something like video editing, the, the new tools they add in, in Premiere... In Photoshop? In Premiere. Oh, in no. Premiere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the other parts of the Creative Cloud service. One and a half stars on the Apple Store. I think people don't like the idea that it's a subscription-based service. Nope. They have pushed back on it for so long. But if you do the math for people who bought Photoshop on a regular or on, on a professional basis mm-hmm. for their work, licenses for, for Adobe apps were you know in the thousands of dollars if you bought a bunch of them. And uh, the subscription model has proven to work for them. People are subscribing and they're getting the updates. And as long as nothing's breaking, you know, most people are usually fine. And the, the, honestly, the photographer bundle... Uh, is much cheaper and worth it if you're not doing video editing, the Photoshop and Lightroom version, which does give you this access to this app. Uh, related to Creative Cloud, if you have an iPhone or iPad, Creative Cloud also now uh, gives you access to a 17,000 font library. And so it's just a ton of thousand, uh, ton of f- fonts. And all users, if you don't have a, um, a subscription to Creative Cloud, you can still download the Creative Cloud app and get an extra 1,300 fonts that you previously would not have had in, in iOS. So just give you a heads up. Worth, worth trying. Let's talk about Razer phones. Did you guys see this? Um, I saw the images. I saw an image of a flip phone. So it's not officially announced. This hmm. was a leak and or a fan render or a fan render. Don't know exactly how or what it is. Okay. But the the rumor is that Moto, Motorola, 
is going to be rebooting the Razer, okay. the, the super thin flip phone, with a super thin flip phone. Oh, a foldable screen? With a foldable screen. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, that's, yes. that's kind of retro and neat. Yeah. I don't know. So the form factor looks a lot like the original Razer. Or not the original, but like, you know, the, the popular Razer. Very thin, has that little hump on the bottom. But if they've incorporated foldable OLED and they, yeah, they ha- have a design so it doesn't like, it doesn't crease and doesn't break, uh, that it could be a w- good way to revive it. Look, they couldn't make the Moda Razer not break when it was not a foldable screen. Oh, really? But it was super popular. Yeah, but those things broke all the time. I didn't know that. I never had one. They were cheap. This is probably going to be a premium product. Yeah, it's this be- has got to be like a $1,500 phone. Well, you don't even know if it's real. Yeah. Yeah. But the renders look look good. I like the real. design. I like the idea. I hope that this is real because I would like to see one, although I won't buy one. That's. I think that's the fundamental problem. People would love the idea of seeing one, yeah. and, and uh, I'm sure filmmakers would love access to it to use in their futuristic sci-fi films. Hey, it's Blade Runner year. November 2019, Blade Runner month. Mm. The original Blade Runner was set in November 2019. Oh, no. mm-hmm. yeah. Los Angeles. I mean, and they pretty much nailed Los Angeles, well, except for the rain. The fact that it's on fire, yes. Yeah, I mean, the dystopian nature of LA, yeah. they, they really got down. Mm. All those eyeball shops. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo Switch selling better than ever. Now, Not the Switch. Sorry, the Switch, Switch Lite. Lite. Yeah. Thanks to the release of the Switch Lite yep. this year, mm-hmm. uh, the, was, the new SKU just went on sale. There's a new Pokemon uh, color scheme. Yeah, just called the different, just color scheme. Yep, of the Switch Lite of the Lite. Yeah. Well, Nintendo says that it sold almost two million Switch Lite systems in the first eleven days uh, on store shelves. It's pretty good, which is incredible considering they only sold. Uh, 3 million switches, less than 3 million, fewer than 3 million switches in the three-month period through uh, the end of September, so middle of this year. So Switch Lite selling many, many more than the switches, at least for launch, and it's kind of balanced out now in October, but it's really kind of bolstered the the entire market for for Nintendo. And of course, Luigi's Mansion's out, and it's getting rave reviews. Have you, you played it? I thought of you when I saw it in the store. Did you uh, get it yet? I have it. Uh, my son, who does not listen to this podcast, doesn't know we have it oh, because it's a yeah. surprise. Mm. You like mm. to keep things away from him. Mm. Well, he has a birthday coming up and such. <laughs> uh, we're running out of time, so let's jump over to our uh, one last tech story. Um, New Facebook logo. No. Oh, we're going to talk about DeepMind. <laughs> we should, uh, I, I petitioned for a second one after this, but Okay. <laughs> DeepMind, congratulations, has achieved grand matter, grand master yeah. status and level in StarCraft II. Wow. That's better than any of us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, much better. Much better. Yeah. There's a new paper in, uh, in Nature that talks about uh, its work and, and how it uses its multi-agent reinforcement learning to play games and games and games over and over and over. And now... Uh, 
it's really good. <laughs> it's a really I, good StarCraft II player. Like, I actually wonder how... I mean, the idea of them choosing StarCraft II is because there's so many different sort of modes of action and strategies at play. They're like, oh, this could be potentially generalizable and it'll get us press attention. Two, I'm sure, is a subtext there. Uh, so this idea of what's called multi-agent re- reinforcement learning, as you mentioned... Uh, I, I wonder how generalizable that's going to be to other settings, but we've seen such an acceleration from chess to go to Starcraft, Starcraft. two. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's next? Yeah. Well, the AI can play as, uh, any of the races mm-hmm. previously only did Protoss versus Protoss and plays any of the three races in Starcraft against any of the three races, which mm-hmm. is, which is interesting. There's still some human players that are better than it. Yes, but it was rated Grandmaster level for all three races above 99.8% of ranked human players. Mm-hmm. That is true Grandmaster status. They actually recorded the matches, and you can watch the replays. They oh. put them up on GitHub. Well, oh, my God. Oh my it's God. amazing. I mean, if you know what you're looking at. I, w- I couldn't follow those. Oh, games. you need a. They, I hope they got in some the, some casters. Yeah. Otherwise, sure. like, <laughs> no idea what's going on. Yeah. Things will be going way too fast. You can um you can go in the YouTube and if you search the uh, tag Alpha Star mm-hmm. and StarCraft Two, uh, you'll come up with some of the recordings of the matches, and uh, truly fascinating. Okay. You had one more story. Yeah. So um, uh, Ed Niedemeyer from TechCrunch got to go in a riderless Waymo in Phoenix. Wait, like just by calling Waymos and like... Got out the app. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this was an invited situation. Mm. Got out the app. The minivan approached. No one driving it. Mm-hmm. Got in. Went on a ride. No one from Waymo in the in the car? No one from Waymo in the car. Okay. Him and a car. And they went on a ride. <laughs> and he talked about the experience. And um, in... In some detail. And based on our reaction last week, where we we're all like, yes, we'll go to Phoenix, take us to Chandler right now. We are ready to hop in. I think there's, I think it's pretty validated by his experience. Like, really? It got him where he's going. Jeez, I'd be Uncanny out. Valley, right? I, um, I freak out when Norm turns on his uh, highway autopilot. I can't handle it. It's freaky. Because I have the confidence, but you don't ride in the car enough to have the confidence. I've driven the model three and I don't, I can't, I don't have the confidence yet. Right. Because you don't have the experience. Yeah. Right. And that's the, that's the concern because the, the driver always knows that the driver can take control Mm. and it doesn't do a good job of giving the passengers confidence that it's going to be safe. I think I misspoke. There was somebody from Waymo in the vehicle, but not behind the wheel. Understood. So there's no one in the driver's side seat. All right. Wow. And it was a good experience. Yes. There you go. <laughs> and they videoed the entire thing. You can watch it. I mean, that's probably pretty boring. Moment of science. I'm going to interject here, Kishore, because before we get, jump to a moment of science, I need to let people out there know that support for this only a te- this is only a test this week also comes from Lutron. Uh, a lot of people think you need smart 
bulbs to get smart lighting, but there is a smarter way. Caseda by Lutron has smart dimmers and switches that replace the switch in your wall so that all the lights are controlled by that switch will act smart. Think about all the places in your home where one switch controls multiple lights, whether it's ceiling lights, chandeliers, bathrooms, workshops, and more. With Caseda, You'll save money by replacing the switches instead of all of those bulbs, which can add up. And smart bulbs are only smart when the switch is on. If someone flips it off, you lose that power. You can say goodbye to the smart control and connectivity. But switches, and you need switches in your house, Caseda switches are always smart, even if the switch is off. With Caseda dimmers, you don't need to buy smart bulbs and enjoy smart lighting. You actually get the best of both worlds, smart lighting control from the app or your voice, and as most people will be familiar with, the control white right at the switch, uh, just like we have set up in our nursery, putting the baby to sleep, letting then the system know with my voice, dim the lights a certain level, and then it just works. Get smart lighting the smart way with Caseda by Lutron smart switches. Learn more at about Caseda at lutron.com slash test. That's L-U-T-R-O-N dot com slash test. Let's rewind the clock, gentlemen. We're going all the way back to 1977 when we launched V'ger 1 uh. and V'ger 2. Yeah, I'm going with the Star Trek reference here. But Voyager 1 and 2 were launched in 1977. Uh, both have now passed into inter- interstellar space with Voyager 2 passing into interstellar space. Uh, just last year. That's outside the uh, effect of the sun, is that right? That's right. So the sun is essentially like the largest nuclear furnace in our neighborhood. And when that uh, nuclear furnace is sort of generating all of that energy, one of the things it generates is uh, magnetic fields uh, and a solar wind of just like particles being sort of shot off by it. We don't entirely know the shape of that sphere of that, I said sphere, but like that, that stuff that comes off. Uh, We've sort of theorized that it's in the shape of a sphere. Um, And this helio area has an edge to it called the heliopause. Hmm. And on the other side of that is what's called interstellar space, which is where there's radiation from the rest of the universe. So there's actual boundary um, that exists. And so when um, Voyager uh, 1 and 2 passed through these zones, um, the data from Voyager 2 came back recently and was analyzed. And what they found was sort of just incredibly uh, surprising. So when it passed through that barrier, and I'm going to go up to the top of this National Geographic story that shows sort of a a rendering of it, um, what they found is there was uh, a temperature variance when they got to the other side of it. Do you imagine, uh, can you guess? This is obviously off in the depths of space. Do you, can you imagine how hot it was? <laughs> very, very cold. It was 54,000 degrees at the edge of <gasps> that. Uh, it's an insane amount of energy that's happening at this barrier. Why? Uh, because there's this differential pressure of these two, um, of like the particles area from the from our sun hitting the interstellar um, area, the mass, and they're pushing against each other. And that friction's generating Wait, an immense whoa. amount of heat. What is the temperature? 54,000 degrees. Celsius? Smokes. Well, it's Kelvin. But like, even if it's Celsius, that's, that's only degrees. like 54,300 did, degrees Celsius. And did they survive it? Uh, yeah. they, they must have in order to send that data back. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. 
It's at this specific edge area. It's insane. How wide, how long were they inside that furnace? So uh, Voyager 2 is going 450,000 miles an hour. Uh-huh. Uh, so it, it traversed the space um, relatively quickly. What's interesting at the edge of this uh, helio uh, pause is they didn't find a uniform um, kind of uh, uh, shape to it. The, what they found is like areas that were almost like uh, glass when like tendrils of cracks kind of break into it where the interstellar space had kind of like invaded into the edge of the heliopause do you think area it, do you think that it looks like something is there visible light emanating from this i don't know i mean with that kind of heat there's probably some sort of visible radiation give, given off but um yeah i mean the interstellar medium being fifty four thousand degrees and actually i was wrong it's not kelvin it's fifty four thousand fahrenheit is basically about 54,000 Kelvin. So, wow. Uh, yeah, it's totally hotter than expected. There's all this plasma at that edge that's really generating. How all often that heat. are the Voyagers even taking temperature samples? Like, well, they had it specifically do it at this point. Oh, they, were, they knew that this was coming? Yeah, this was planned. This was theorized because we, yeah. did, we didn't know. So, we still don't sure, know right? the shape of this whole right. thing, but now we're like, we're starting to get a sense of the geometry is really different than what we'd expect because I think the, the classical models were like, it's a sphere. And it's a sphere with like a, a very detectable boundary. And now it's saying like that boundary is cracked and misshapen. Wouldn't you want And it's a lot hotter than we think. Wouldn't How you do they know the shape of it just from that one sample point? Well, because they were able to see temperature variations mm-hmm. uh, and particle variations as they were traversing it. So they could see that it wasn't this uniform barrier. Wouldn't this heat source be a, a good resource if you were building a space station? Wouldn't you want to erect your, your uh, site somewhere in this area so i'm gonna let you in on a secret uh that place is really bad for humans to be <laughs> yeah for reasons um beyond the fact that we you're so far from the sun and all of that kind of stuff uh the interstellar medium that's on the other side is filled with all sorts of radiation that will kill us like that cosmic rays um and this magnetic field that's being given off by the sun is essentially protecting us and it goes around all the eight planets and out past some of the the um uh, what's the technical term for all the Pluto stuff now? All that dwarf stuff. planets. No, but like all the stuff at the edge of the solar system. Um, it's not dwarf planets. Uh, but, but it's right, right at the edge of the solar system. Yeah, this I mean, is just beyond that. I mean, this is technically, I think, what you would call the boundary of the solar system. Right, because the th- this is why the, wild. The, the, uh, the planets can survive in that space or and why there aren't any. Yeah, any, yeah okay. But I will say, like, yeah. to the question, it's like, it's not this, like, huge band of area where it's, like, 54,000 degrees. It's this, like, really thin kind of diffuse area where this plasma is yeah. con- congregating. Can so you, it's still pretty cold. If you were there. to measure it in, like, centimeters. Oh, they don't know that. If you were to measure, is it a mile <laughs> wide? No we don't know. Think, okay. it's, it's the solar system's force field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, it's it, a warp bubble. I it's a, ooh. I didn't know those were warm. I didn't, yeah, I had no idea it was that, that hot or that, that scale. So, I mean, naturally, st- scientists, now they're filling in pieces, want to know more. Uh, so you want to know when they'll know more? <laughs> yeah, uh, in 25 years. Uh, nope. Uh, so New Horizons is the closest probe there. It's going to run out of energy before it hits this oh, no, no. area. It was going to be slated to get there, like maybe the 2030s. It's not going to make it all the way out there. So we have no probe that's actually going out there. So it'll be probably 50 years before we get something else out to that distance. They don't make them like you used to. 
No. Voyager. Wow. And it, I'm curious about what the range of temperature sensing the Voyager has. Like those, the probes Actually, that, I, that's a great question. I don't know. Because they they must have planned for it. I asked a lot of questions Back and none of them were great. So good job. Yes. <laughs> Come on. You no, know, you ask great questions. You got me stuck on like the, the actual temp, temperature. We have talked, especially uh, you, Jeremy, about blind spots on this <laughs> podcast, right? That's true. Well, I'm going to show you a project, and it's going to be on the screen. We'll narrate what it is. We are inside a vehicle, and we're looking out. We're looking out basically through the passenger side from the driver's side. And like in every car, there is like a pillar um, that comes down uh, that blocks some of your view. So anyone that's taken a right or left-hand turn knows about this pillar because it can interfere with your view of a bicyclist, a bicyclist or pedestrian or just anything out there. There's a word for it. You know it. It's like T-something, right? A, it's A-frame. 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 So it. this is a structural piece. It like you know, reinforce in the event of a rollover, it's a, you know, it maintains the shape of the car, all that kind of stuff. Uh, well, a young inventor came up with an idea of sticking a camera outside the car, feeding that data into a projector that's mounted on the interior roof of that car and projecting that along the geometry of that a -frame. Sorry, a pillar. A pillar. Yeah. So the way the car is designed, that front, the, the two pillars that uh, or the front windshield is the A pillar. The one between the front uh, passenger window and the driver's window, that's the B pillar. And then behind you, the thing that frames around the rear window is the C pillar. Thank right. you. Well, with this A pillar, what we're seeing from inside the car uh, is essentially a seamless view. You should check out the video because we've got it running on the TV. Yeah. So my question as I was seeing this is how does it solve for parallax? Yeah. Now, this is something that works for this perspective in two dimensions on video. In stereo. It's oh, sorry, in mono. Yeah, it's perfect uh, from this perspective. And it's a clever use of a, of a camera and a projector. Here is the car moving now, and you can actually see it. Yep. So it doesn't deal with parallax perfectly, uh, but it gives you a view into what's going on in that space. Like better than nothing. Better yes. than nothing. Yeah. And, and also, your brain is then reminded to as you see that there's imagery there yeah. to look around and it, you know if you see something moving in that projection then you're then you then double check by of course moving your head and check, looking through the glass it looks like uh, the harry potter invisibility cloak mm -hmm. right. well this was developed by elena glasser who's a 14 year old girl yep. who won a science fair competition by designing this and i thought this was really cool little piece of tech me too they used off the shelf stuff Hmm. Uh, to visualize a space that we typically can't. I mean, it's see. not easy to do that mapping, too. No, and like the mapping of the geometry is pretty perfect. All right, or um, you can better design the A pillars and cars so that they're maybe it's porous. You know, structurally, you design mm -hmm. something that's strong enough but still has. They can. Or we redesign cars to have like that reflective material that's in screens, or so or just bubble, bubbles, right? Bubbles it's just the Homer, big hamster balls, the Homer. Uh, Norm, I'm going to do a throwback here. You remember when we went to see Carbon and their continuous 3D printing system? <gasps> oh, we're going to talk about uh, the mixture of, of air, of oxygen. Light. Light, light, uh, light, light and air. oxygen. Yeah. Uh, Carbon's a, a 3D printing company that does a continuous pull from a, a, a set of resin. It UV cures, so like UV light hits the resin and starts curing it um, in this sort of dead layer. Um, 
that is liquid, but as you pull it out, the UV cure sets, uh, the resin sets, and you get a, a piece of, ma of material being continuously pulled out. Uh, so you don't have to do this sort of like layering type uh, process that most 3D printing has, so you can print a lot faster. The problem with it is that when you polymerize a resin, it releases a bunch of heat. So your limitation on how fast you can print is how fast you can dissipate the heat because it will interfere with the resin curing as you continuously pull. And they said so much in um, uh, when we went and visited them, you know, whatever, three years ago. A new paper came out about two weeks ago in Science that they took that same architecture and essentially applied, instead of just having the resin in there, they put this essentially like almost like Teflon-coated oil. It was a fluorinated oil as a layer in above the... Um, the resin pool. So there's this layer of oil kind of laying on top of the resin. And so as the resin would get to just the bottom of that, the UV light would cure it. Then it would enter this oil. That oil was designed to quickly dissipate the heat. It's liquid cooling. Yeah. So they In essentially added liquid cooling to 3D printing and they reached new levels of speed in terms of the vertical printing. And it didn't affect the, the quality of the cure. Uh, it, it's hard to say because we only got images. They talk about it in the paper, but it, I, I think quality is not a standard measure when it comes to, we always talk about it in terms of resolution mm -hmm. with 3D printing, yeah. but I don't think that's a perfect measure here. Uh, so what, it, what they were able to do to demonstrate is they were able to reach 16 inches of vertical pool an hour on this wow. 3D printer. Wow. And this, the volume of that is just dependent on the printer? Yeah. So you could, it's, well, it's pretty amazing. So they printed a 13 foot tall um, sculpture with a two and a half square foot print bed. Uh, about it, they printed about a half a yard an hour. That's hard to believe. Wow. It is so incredibly fast. I mean, you're literally watching it print. Though. Yeah. It's just flying out of this thing. Hmm. And so I think this idea of liquid cooling to <laughs> resin printers. It's like people talking about early inkjet printers or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just think that speed is incredible. And that yeah. idea of liquid cooling for this type of printer. And the, these kinds of printers are pretty much exclusively used in commercial settings. I know uh, like Adams had a couple prints uh, made with this kind of technology. But mm. for the most part, this is a, a commercial product. Yeah, but great for film sets, I imagine. Yeah, this kind of, uh, I, I think it's a fascinating thing. And the last story I have for you this week is one last 3D printing story. Uh, and one of the areas that I'm most fascinated with is 3D printing of organs. And the reason I'm so fascinated with it is it requires a level of precision and detail and scaffolding um, uh, that most 3D printers haven't gotten to, but it allows a level of precision that uh, hasn't been seen before. And so one of the the hurdles to that is how do you create like support architecture? Like we talk about supports all the time when 3D printing. So how do you do that in a context where you need such incredible precision? Yeah. Well, a group decided instead of like creating all these like miniature supports along the way, what's a better medium that will continuously support it? So they actually printed inside of a liquid medium. So there's liquid. And all around. Support. All around supporting the but print. But it's not water. There's got to be some viscosity. No, there. it's a specific sort of polymer that's holding it. Then they create sort of an architecture inside of that 
um, of that liquid, inject it with the the resin that's actually going to cure, yeah. and then slowly at that interface of these two are able to start to get the membrane to set, but like like a womb. Yeah, it's it it's insane. So what you're seeing on the screen behind you, that's an actual print. That's not some CG uh, Shutterstock image. That they actually printed material, uh, a liquid inside of a liquid, uh, and it will set up over time. Wild. And I just think like fundamentally that changes the nature of what we think about when it comes to support mechanism mechanisms inside of 3D prints. Did you get your 3D printer? Uh, no, my preset hasn't come yet. Oh, okay, I we'll should be here soon. Play music, I guess I'll do that. The VR Minute. Virtual reality this week. Well, we talked about Pistol Whip, so yep. what, are, what else is there to talk about? Well, there are things we can't talk about. Yeah, someday. One day. Um, this guy, okay, uh, you, you, I, you, I put this story in because it was so far-fetched, at least on my initial read, Yeah, that I think it's worth discussing I mean, it's in the, the off chance that it's true. The headline is Apple partnering with Valve to develop AR headset. I'll read that story. <laughs> yes. The clickbait has baited yeah. you successfully. You've been hooked. And I I was I too was hooked. What? So this comes out of Digitimes. Yeah. So it could also be details of which, you know, true or not, also subject to translation. But their report is that Valve, yes, the Valve, uh has been is going to partner with Apple for some type of content or storefront or something for Apple's upcoming AR hardware. Mac Rumors does point out that they've partnered before in 2017 to bring Steam VR to Mac OS. But that's very different. Yes. Steam VR was that that's but it existing means, hardware that on Steam it just means they, compatibility with Mac OS. That they're in each other's contact list. That, right, right, right. Gabe has aligned to Tim Cook, maybe? Yeah, somebody. <laughs> they're, they're in the Billionaires Club together. Yeah. Um, let's play this out. Where could Valve, how, in, in what world, what situation would this make sense? It's weird because Apple has so, much, so many resources at their disposal. They've probably acquired numerous companies in this department already. Uh, so what Val could Valve bring to Apple Valve that Apple would want? Valve has VR expertise. Mm -hmm. You know, as storefront expertise, uh, gaming, gaming audience, maybe as much as anybody. I mean, I would think only Oculus in the commercial space has done more in terms of outward facing, uh, you know, inside out tracking. But Valve is, is great at that. What they haven't done is any or we have not seen any kind of AR move from them or, or interest in it because it doesn't serve steam. It doesn't serve their their needs. So I have I don't know I, what what's I like about this story is that it says hey we might see something as early as next year from apple i also yeah. find that very it does seem too soon too soon yeah i would be i'm not confident in where ar tech now from what we've seen that if apple were to put something out based on the tech we've seen waveguides and well, that, the field of view limitations there, uh, based on the, what you know we've seen out of Hololens and even Magic Leap. You're talking about the display tech, and yes. I totally agree with you. That. I don't think Apple could put out AR glasses next year unless they have some display tech that 
is going to really be a tremendous breakthrough in AR tech that would satisfy their need for a new product to to actually create a new market. The big advantage market. they have is they have a computer in everybody's pocket. Sure, the compute side of it. Yeah. And that's what they'll use to power this device. And that will offload a lot of the weight and cost from the headsets. And that's a good thing. Not that it would be cheap. Nobody else is really doing that. Like some, we've seen other, like a- Magileap does it, but you buy the system from them. That's true. But it's a, you're right. It's a computer puck that you wear on your waist. And real, you would buy uh, glasses from them that you plug into an Android phone. But they don't control the phone. Like that's the thing about Apple is that they control the whole widget. And so they could be potentially very good, you know, symbiosis there. I mean, also you're talking about the bandwidth that's in Lightning right now. A Lightning cable. You're thinking it's going to be wired. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it is. You know, it could be just battery powered. Just uh, AirPlayed. And, and your AirPlay? You're talking about AirPlay protocol for uh, AR? Why not? Why not? Everyone like, Have you used AirPlay? I've done um, you know, Steam VR over virtual desktop and uh, the latency is pretty pretty slow and we're, but we're talking about AR here. You Where can, latency you can, you can get away with it because you get a lot of the benefits you see yeah, the real world. Exactly. So much of this doesn't sound right. Or well, right I wonder what that display tech is going to be that's going that Tim Cook thinks is going to reach mass market potential. I don't know what that is. I bet internally at Apple, they're struggling with it. Yeah. I bet the decision is they might have something that they're happy with now, but may not be impactful in, to, to in a meaningful way on the Apple scale because they can't put a new market, they can't put a new category of hardware product out there and satisfy customers, investors, uh, without it being at least as successful as the Apple Watch, which out the gate for a $330 device, you know, was, was the best smartwatch in existence or yeah. the best selling smartwatch, but was not, was not anywhere near iPad or iPro or iPhone. And I don't imagine them doing a, making a product that people are supposed to wear as often as they wear a VR headset. I think that they would probably make a product that you wear all day long. Oh, you think more, of course, more so than VR headset. I don't think all day long. I think, if if Apple comes out with AR glasses, it'd be something that you wear at home. It'd be more iPad like than iPhone like. Let me put it that way. I'm imagining a replacement for your glasses. Oh, I I think they want to get there. I Too don't soon? think the first gen would be there. Yeah, I think glasses, even more so than than watch, is so tied to identity and fashion that for watches, it was a struggle for them to differentiate with, with bands and that became a, an upsell opportunity for them. Uh, but for glasses, because of the limitations of display technologies, yeah. you can only have so many frame designs. Mm -hmm. And for people who need glasses for operating the world because of their prescription, how do you accommodate as well without being tied into the health industry and, and you know, and prescription lenses. And Those are problems Apple can solve. I just wonder if they can get the industrial design right. And get the, and whatever the, that display tech is. I mean, that's the key. They have to find a display tech that is user-friendly and you know, just feels good. And I have yet to use that. And I, I still don't see how this would tie into Valve. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, yeah, they don't need Valve. And, and, and nothing from Valve indicates that they are interested in, in, in AR for Steam. Yeah. Nope. They let Jerry Ellsworth go. Right. Go make the AR. And, and take and take her tech. Yep. And and so it's really maybe a content oh 
the one thing I'll say is that good AR, whenever we get good AR, as we've said, good AR encompasses VR. Mm-hmm. And so maybe one of the selling points for Apple, I'm trying to put this, this round peg in a square hole here, maybe Apple wants a storefront for VR, which Steam VR would be a big storefront existing, and they're not going to get Oculus, uh, so that when a- Apple puts out the AR glasses, you have a VR mode that you can play VR games oh, in there. Oh, God. That no, feels no, the no. least Apple thing ever. <laughs> it doesn't seem like a good experience. I'm trying to, no, I'm trying yeah. to make this story work. Yeah. I don't know. Thanks, Digitimes. <laughs> don't play them. Um, There's a new Void coming out. A new oh, Void experience. Yeah. I mean, I've been impressed by how frequently they've been able to create yeah. new things, even though... Like, you know, they, they just came out with a Marvel one uh, where you are participating in MCU. I think it's a limited release only in certain certain of the Void locations. The only thing I wish is the locations would rotate the content more because it's usually locked into one or two IP mm-hmm. for like a month or two, yeah. if not longer. I wonder if that's if they get a kit right from home base. If, if yeah. the fabrication out of Void HQ sends out, you know, this is the, the Wreck-It Ralph kit and this is the Ghostbusters kit and then the employees then turn it over much like a local repertory theater would turn over a, you know, the a, a, a stage right. for a new production or limited run of a certain production because uh, then you get people coming back. Given that the aesthetics of that stage can be as much as like blank two by fours, right? It just needs to be the physical placement and whatever the person yeah. you know is interacting with, like I, physically touching. I would like to think that they have grand plans on making that modulars change much more rapid. Oh, yeah, like, like the turnover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you still don't want to be turning over like midday, right? It's not going to be no. Star Wars no. in the morning, record sure. off in the evening. So, what is this new Void experience? Jumanji. So there's there's another a, movie tie-in. I've never seen any Jumanji film. What? Yeah, isn't that weird? I love Robin Williams, and uh, well, he only made the one. It's well, isn't that the one to see? That's the one to see. So, hey, you know the Jack Black Karen Gillan one isn't bad. It's not bad. Is that yeah, right? It's not bad. Well, they made a sequel, so it can't be that bad. So well, it the, certainly made a bunch of money. The next movie is called uh, like I forget what it's called, like Back in the Game. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, next next level. It's a. Uh, Jumanji, you know, the next one with Jack Black and The Rock, and they are um, making a, a void for it. And it's interesting to me that you can hire The Void to make a promo for your movie. I mean, that's great. They have the locations. Yeah. I would think that they'd want to be in the movie theaters, though. Which there's spaces, which uh, the, the other companies own partly, or there's investment from movie theaters, like they are, and, but they don't have nearly as many locations I mean, as The Void. That's why I think you're seeing The Void show up in shopping malls, because there's also movie theaters at those shopping malls they're showing up in. And theme parks, places where people yeah. expect and spend money, you know, Vegas, right. and, and, and they're, they've, they're very smart about where they've put, uh, put these locations. I would just think that more theaters would be doing it. Like there's an arcade in Daly City. I'd say get rid of the arcade and put a void in there, even if it's just one group at a time. Is that it for for the VR news? Um, I don't know. You have another story in there. Is it not worth discussing? Uh, what I got? Um, new. Oh yeah, no, no, not worth discussing. Okay. Nope. 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 Uh, stay tuned in for, for VR in terms of VR. Stay tuned for our coverage of Pistol Whip and the videos I shot when I was over at Cloudhead Games. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's all we can say right now. Okay. Yeah. Do we have an outro this week? Um. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Ooh, did you guys play his last week's one? Uh, we did. Skywalker? Okay, I missed it. I should listen to your podcast. 
Go. Hi there, I didn't see you. Anyone doing any fun, fun things this weekend? We had this like quintessential Canadian experience. So our Uber doesn't come to like take us to the game, and these uh, three Canadian guys show up, and one is wearing like a hockey helmet, and they're all geared up, and they go, "Hey, we got some space in our cab. You want to hop in?" Eh? Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, what did you do? Anyone do any fun, fun things this weekend? Yes. yes. Hey, we got some space in our cab. You want to hop in? Hey. Eh? Yes. yes. So Saskatchewan. South, South of the border. Yes. Well, what did you just Anyone do any fun fun things this weekend? Rolled up. Yes. Hey, we got some space in our cab. You want to hop in, eh? Yes. yes. When I guess. Yes. 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 You were in Canada? 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 Whoa. That means a ton to me personally. If you're in Berlin, Germany, I'm there this weekend. Say hi. Bye.